Genesis chapter 42. Sunday nights we go through the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. We come to Genesis chapter 42 this evening. You just get thirsty with good worship like that. I'm just telling you. I hate to torment you with that. You didn't we, oh, the deacons didn't put a bottle of water in each of the seats. Hmm. Joseph, as you might remember, we've been absent for a week. And, and, uh, but Joseph has now been elevated into the second highest position in all of the land of Egypt. And Egypt was the most powerful nation in that part of the world at that time. And all of his elevation into the place of the second most powerful man in Egypt is all of that occurs in order to accomplish what comes next. And what comes next now we pick up now in chapter 42. And when Jacob saw that there was no grain in Egypt, or that there was grain in Egypt, Jacob said to his sons, Why do you look at one another? So now the seven years of plenty have passed and that God had uh, kind of prophesied of through the dreams that he had given to Pharaoh and then interpreted those dreams through Joseph. A famine has now come into the land that's going to last for seven years. Uh, The famine is going to be very, very far-reaching, not only in Egypt itself, but in all the surrounding countries, including Canaan where a very important family in human history is located, uh, the family of Jacob, of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob fame, the patriarchs through whom God had promised to bring the Messiah into the world. And uh, so now as the grain has run out probably a year or two into uh, the famine, and uh, they have now run out of food, they have run out of any reserve that they have, Remember, Jacob is a very prosperous man, uh, pretty wealthy in how God has blessed him. And even he and his household have now run out of bread. Now, the word is out everywhere that there is bread in Egypt, uh, that they have stored up the food for the seven years, and you can go to Egypt and buy food uh, and grain for money. And uh, apparently, Jacob knows it. He knows that all of his sons, all of his boys know it. And so he kind of prods them a little bit here and says, Why are you standing around looking at one another? I have to give all the orders around here. It's obvious what we need to do. We need to go down into Egypt and get some grain. Now, we don't really know why the brothers hesitated to head down into Egypt under their own initiative. It is very uh, likely that they did would not have done so without their father's clear command to do so. But it is also possible uh, that they had memories of 20 plus years ago when they had sold a certain brother to the Midianites and Ishmaelite traders uh, heading off to sell him into slavery in Egypt. And uh, Egypt is just kind of like a bad memory for them over what they've done. And we're going to see in a little bit later this evening that what they've done to Joseph is as fresh inside of their hearts and their minds as if it happened yesterday. 
So they may be a little hesitant not to go down there because of the guilt of their past sin. And he said, Indeed, I have heard that there is grain in Egypt. Now go down to that place and buy for us there that we may live and not die. Now this gives us a sense for um, the greatness of the famine. Now, I'm a citizen of the United States of America, and we're fairly well fed here. And uh, I kind of feel like I'm starving if I'm not full. Uh, And, and, I mean, we're just so used to food and and really an availability financially of food. Sure, it's all cloned and poisoned, but uh, anyway, you know... (laughs) We can. What's this cloning deal? Somebody was talking to me this last week about the fact that uh, they're already they're going to sell this cloned meat and stuff like that, and and now they're not going to tell you that you're buying you know cloned thing. I said no, and the government wouldn't do that to us, and uh, so so I hope somebody squawks about it. You know, remember they had that whole gasoline thing? They had that MTBE or what they added to the gasoline for a million years. We're all breathing it and absorbing it into our bodies, and then finally they said, hey, it's affecting our water supplies and all that we better cut it out they cut it out and they discovered didn't do one bit of good just poisoning the whole state now anyway we don't need to talk enough about this okay this isn't talk radio it's a bible study isn't it so um where were we here so but it gives us an idea of of the greatness of of the famine i mean they are really uh their very survival as a family their ability to continue to live depends upon going to egypt like so many others in order to get uh, some, some food and not die. And so, Joseph's ten brothers went down to buy grain in Egypt. The same ten brothers who had sold him into slavery, had stripped him of his coat of many colors, threw him in the pit, sold him to the slave uh, traders who then took him into Egypt. So the same ten go down, uh, all of the brothers minus Joseph who was in Egypt and Benjamin who stays uh, with, with the father. But Jacob did not send Joseph's brother Benjamin with his brothers, for he said, lest some calamity uh, befall him. And so Benjamin's probably about uh, at least 20 years old at this point in time, probably a little bit uh, older uh, uh, than that. And uh, right, uh, no, it'd be right around there, given the birth, his birth following uh, Joseph's birth. And the sons of Israel went to buy grain among those who journeyed, for the famine was in the land of Canaan. So it was like they started out to head to Egypt to buy grain, and it was just like, okay, there's no need for any uh, directions on the road or anything. Just follow the crowd. Just a long line of people heading to Egypt in order to survive and buy the grain. Now, Joseph was the governor over the land, and remember, he is holding uh, this grain sale pretty tight, close to himself. So this isn't like some delegated uh, program that he has. All the sales of grain are going through him. And it's got to last seven years. He's maintaining very strict control over it. So he is the governor over the land. And it was he who sold all the, uh, to all of the people of the land. And Joseph's brothers, when they came, they bowed down before him with their faces to the earth. So here he is. Joseph just gets up. And it's just going to be a day like any other day. And he looks into this kind of long line of people that are coming in one after another from all over the world to try and buy grain. And suddenly a group of ten brothers are in front of him. And what do they do? They bow down before him. God's dreams and promises come true. 
Praise the Lord, hallelujah, amen, tap, tap, no erases, no take-backs, nothing. They come true. God had given the promise to him all of those years before. It looked like a folly at the time. But if God has to move the entire geopolitical situation of the world to keep just one of his promises, not only in Joseph's life, but in your life, he will do that. God keeps His promises. He has never failed of one, not even one time in human history. So they fall down now before Him on their faces to the earth. And Joseph saw his brothers and he recognized them. So they're probably a little grayer, a little older, all, no doubt about that, and all. And somehow with the whole ten and everything, he can make out who this is. This is family. And, uh, but they don't recognize uh, him at all. And he acted as a stranger to them, and he spoke roughly to them. Now you remember when he came with his brightly colored jacket, and he's kind of been sent by his father to spy upon these kind of irresponsible brothers as they're supposed to be uh, taking care of the flock and maybe not doing a good job and bring a report back to dad and, and all. What happens when he gets there? They speak to him roughly. Joseph's going to give them a little taste of their own medicine all the way through this thing. Not so that he can say, all right, I'll, I know how to dish it out as well as take it. But it's all kind of a test to try and expose their, their character and also to bring to their remembrance what they had one day done to him. So here he is, and he pretends he doesn't know them all, speaks roughly to them. And then he said to them, now you remember, you've come now to Egypt, you've got to get food for you and your children to continue to live. This is a bad start, that this guy seems to be already upset with you, and he doesn't even know you. And he's, and he's really, really powerful. So this has to be, confuse them. This is pretty illogical uh, behavior uh, going on with this, this uh, Pharaoh's helper. And he said to them, where do you come from? And they said, from the land of Canaan to buy food. And Joseph recognized his brothers, but they did not recognize him. Now, 22 years have gone by or so. So the last time they saw Joseph, he was about 17. Now he's about 39, 40. Any changes in your appearance since you were 17 to the time that you were about 39 or 40? They'll be bigger changes, trust me, than, than just in that period. Well, a lot of things can happen there. So just by aging, it's a little harder to recognize him. But uh, also, he is now completely looking like an official in Egypt. And they shaved their heads, uh, bald heads. They wore wigs, even the men. And, uh, and they would wear the heavy liner, eyeliner and makeup and all of these kinds of things. So he's pretty different from from how they remembered him, and they don't recognize him at all. And then Joseph remembered the dreams which he had dreamed about them, as they've bowed down to him. And he said to them, You are spies, and you've come to see the nakedness of the land. Now, they just can't be getting this. He was nice to the five people that were right before us. And then, what did we do? Somebody wearing a weird T-shirt or what? You know, some anti-Egypt T-shirt or something. And uh, so it, it really doesn't add up. It doesn't make any sense. Now, when he says, you're spies, it's like, all right. I mean, he's accusing them of being spies. It's a little, little stronger than that. For them, we're reading it as an account. That is a capital crime 
to come into another land as a spy. So you've got the most, uh, second most powerful man in the whole world now accusing you of a capital crime. And he now has on his mind, potentially, not only not giving you grain, but uh, now his, your hand is in his life. Uh, I mean, your life is in his hand. You knew, didn't you? I see somebody looked, looked at their friend back here. It, she said, it's nothing new. You'll get used to it. It happens all the time around here. So, so this, is, this is a real serious situation. It's escalating by the sentence. And they, they understand that. And, uh, and so they said to him, No, my Lord, but your servants have come to buy food. That's how they respond to the, tra- the accusation. We are all one man's son. We are honest men. Sure, we sell, sell brothers and put them in pits and send them off into Egypt. But we're more or less honest than this. Your servants are not spies. But Joseph is not going to let this go. He said, No, but you have come to see the nakedness of the land. So he accuses them of being spies once again. And they said, Your servants are twelve brothers, the sons of one man in the land of Canaan. And in fact, the youngest is with our father today, and one is no more. Speaking of him, the one that they're talking with. Now, in this sentence... Joseph has had, not had any news about his family for 22 years. Right around there. And in one sentence, in verse 13, he learns two of the most important things to him in all of life. Number one, his younger brother is still alive. And num- they didn't kill him and throw him in a pit just like they'd done to Joseph. And he had to be thinking. All right, they, they took Joseph out, and here is Joseph and Benjamin, uh, the sons of the favored wife of Jacob, Rachel. And so Joseph doesn't know whether as soon as they sold me into Egypt, they didn't go home and take care of business now with, with Benjamin. The other thing that he learns in this sentence is that his father is still alive. And that's, these things are important to him. So, so very exciting things are kind of unfolding as all of this, uh, you know, conversation is, uh, is, is going forth. But Joseph said to them, it's as I spoke to you, uh, to you saying, you are spies. And, uh, and so he accuses them once again, and in this manner you shall be tested. Now what he's doing to them Clearly, even he confesses it here, is to test them. By the life of Pharaoh, in other words, may Pharaoh perish if you escape. By the life of Pharaoh, you shall not leave this place unless your youngest brother comes here. Send one of you and let him bring your brother, and you shall be kept in prison, that your words may be tested to see whether there is any truth in you. Or else, by the life of Pharaoh, surely you are spies. So now he gives them an opportunity to prove that they are not spies. He said, I'm going to hold nine of you, release one of you, one of you can go back. When somebody shows up with this younger son, then I'll know that your story is true. But I don't trust you as far as I can throw you, and, uh, and I, want to, uh, I want to have that, that kind of, of, a, of a proof. And uh, so he put them all together in prison for three days. They'd thrown him into 
a, uh, uh, an empty cistern. They had imprisoned him for a time. He knows how to kind of do the same things to provoke their thought related to uh, they had unjustly treated him. He's treating them unjustly. Give them a feel for what it feels like. And then Joseph said to them the third day, brings them all out, and he said, Do this and live, for I fear God. If you're honest men, then let's turn this holding nine and letting one go around. I'll hold one and let nine go of your brothers. We'll confine one to the prison house, but you go and carry grain for the famine of your houses and bring your youngest brother to me so that your words will be fair, verified and, they, and you shall not die. And they did so. So all of them agree here uh, to this proposal that, that he makes uh, to them. And then verse 21, then they said to one another, we are truly guilty concerning our brother. For we saw the anguish of his soul when he pleaded with us. Here we get a, a, a sense of, uh, of what we don't know anywhere else in the record, is that when Joseph was down in that pit and in that hole, he knew he, his life was in real danger. And he's begging and he's pleading with him to have mercy on him. And they showed him no mercy. And, and so here is their being treated unjustly, I mean illogically unjustly, the, is, is they, is all of that's being meted out to them. Their first thought goes right back to what they did to, to, to Joseph. And so they said, we're guilty concerning our brother, for we saw the anguish of his soul when he pleaded with us, and we would not listen to him. Therefore, this distress has come upon us. The power and the longevity of a guilty conscience. I mean, guilt, guilt has the shelf life of a Twinkie. It'll last a long, long time. It does. People say, well, you know, time heals all things. Doesn't heal guilt. Doesn't heal guilt. Doesn't heal guilt when it, it, it allows you to bury it under a lot more stuff, a, a lot more other bad things that we've done. And I can deal with it by hardening my conscience as the years go by. But time is not the way that God has chosen to deal with guilt. We deal with guilt by confessing it and asking God for forgiveness for the sins we have committed against other people. That's how, that's how guilt gets dealt with. If we confess our sins, First uh, John chapter 1, God is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's how we deal with sin. God, I am so sorry, and, and I ask for your forgiveness over what I did there at that time in, in my life to that person. And then to confess my sin and ask forgiveness of significant others that I have sinned against so that they can then be released to begin to heal up in, in light of the sin that I've committed against them. And as we do that, as we take the sin and we say, listen, this is what I did and I'm sorry for what I did here. I ask for your forgiveness uh, in, in all of that. And, and we bring that forward and do that. The Bible says in the book of Hebrews that God then cleanses us from an evil conscience, a guilty conscience. 
And, and, and I'm able then for the rest of my life, any time that thought would come into my mind over what I did to that person at that time, I'm able to just say, Lord, I, I remember, just, I, I distinctly remember a, a moment in time of just committing that completely to you and receiving your forgiveness related to it. I'm not going to go back through it. I leave it to you to work it together for good. That's how we deal with sin. And, and, and God knows what guilt will do to a person and what guilt will do uh, is doing to these men at that point. Isn't that amazing? 22 years ago, and the first sign of something going wrong, they just go back and say, it's because of this. I mean, every day they're living with that guilt in their lives. All of them together. They just look at one another and they all know, we did that. And we deceived our dad and he's still living under the same deception and, and all. And it's hard medicine, but God is going to work in their life to bring them out from under that kind of a life. So that God's doing good things for Joseph here, and, but he's doing good things for these brothers too. By bringing that sin right forward and they're going to have to address that sin and, and deal with it. But then they'll be free of it. And then Reuben answered, saying, Did I not speak to you, saying, Do not sin against the boy? You wouldn't listen. Therefore, behold, his blood is now required of us. So they're talking in Hebrew back and forth. They don't know that Joseph, as we'll see in a verse here, that he can understand what it is that they're saying. He is learning an awful lot about his brothers right now. He's learning that they feel terrible for what they did 22 years earlier. In other words, they're changed men. They are changed men. They are not the cold-blooded, uh, heartless, calloused men that they were 22 years earlier. They feel terrible for what they did. He also is learning that Reuben did not play a part in the selling of him into Egypt. That Reuben was apparently absent during that time, probably tending the, the flocks and the herds, and that he came back and said, What in the world have you done here? We sold him for 20 pieces of silver. At least he's not dead. Shut up, Reuben. And, uh, and, and so he, Joseph realizes, okay, Reuben is innocent. But you notice when, when, when he says there, um, Behold, his blood is now required of us. Joseph realizes in that confession, they all think he's dead. In their mind, there is no way that you could be sold as a Hebrew from Canaan, not with the attitude of the Egyptians toward foreigners, that you could be sold into slavery in Egypt at that time and how they were treating slaves and survive for 22 years. We killed our brother. So that's how they look at it. They, in their wildest dreams, they cannot believe that he is, he is still alive. But they did not know that Joseph understood them, for he spoke to them through an interpreter. He could have just begun speaking into right into Hebrew, but he didn't do that. He's, Joseph is a very disciplined man in what he's doing right here. What, what I might have done is just the first second I come here, get over here, get over here. I'm the second most powerful man in the world, and, and let me give you a good Indian you know, noggin burn with a knuckle. You trade me into, sell me into Egypt, will you, kind of a deal. But, but uh, some people are more spiritual than I am. That's right, and they're in the Bible. 
So here he is, he's got a plan. He's got a couple big questions on his mind. And he's not going to reveal who he is or what he's about until those questions are answered. And here are the two big questions. The question number one is, what is the attitude of these ten brothers toward my younger brother? And are they treating him presently the way that they once treated me? And number two, what is the attitude of my ten brothers toward my father? In other words, are these truly changed men? And he sees it a little bit here, but he's going to have them jump through five or six hoops so that he's just not catching them on a good day. But he's going to catch them at their best and at their worst and see if their lives have truly changed. And, uh, and he's going to discover that they, that they have. God's been mightily at work, not only in his life, but in the life of these, these brothers. And, and so he's speaking through an interpreter, and then he turned away from them and he wept. It's just overwhelming to him. He said, my dad is still alive. My brother is still alive. These brothers that have done this to me, they have been as, as hard as life has been for me for 22 years and all these prisons and places that I have been put far away from home, they have been tormented in even greater measure by their guilt. And it overwhelms him there and he, and he breaks off and he begins to weep. And then he returned to them again and he talked with them and he took Simeon as the one brother that he would hold before he released the other nine. And uh, he bound, uh, took Simeon from them and bound him before their eyes. Now, why would he take Simeon? Because Simeon's the second oldest. And Reuben has just declared as the oldest, usually Joseph would have taken the oldest, but Reuben has just confessed, I had no part in the selling of of that, uh, that, our brother, into that slavery. So he takes the oldest one of the remaining brothers who were responsible, and he holds him uh, as, as a prisoner. And Joseph gave a command to fill their sacks with grain and to restore every man's uh, money to his sack and to give them provisions uh, for the journey, and thus he did for them. So the remaining nine are free to go, gives them all of the grain, puts their money into the, the grain uh, sacks. And so they loaded their donkeys with the grain, departed from there. But as they're making their way back to Canaan, one of them opens up his sack in order to feed the donkey a little bit. Remember, the animals have to be fed too. And as they're camped there, and as he opens up the top of the sack, he saw his money, and there it was in the mouth of his sack. And so he said to his brothers, My money has been restored, and there it is in my sack. And then the hearts failed them, their hearts failed them, and they were afraid, saying to one another, This, what is this that God has done to us? Now, what would happen to you if you were leaving with a whole SUV full of groceries and uh, they put your check in one of the bags? Praise the Lord. This is, this is God good. I mean, it, it, it's, it's kind of, again, it's irrational for them to have, for them to, oh no, this is something terrible. They think, Jehovah Jireh, God sees and He supplies. But again, the, the, the fact that they're not right, the fact that, it, you know, in all, it, it doesn't allow them to enjoy uh, the, these things. And I think that they have a sneaking suspicion that 
Every dealing we have with this Egyptian man is, is like something from the Twilight Zone. We expect Rod Serling to come out from, you know, the deal and the theme song to come out. It just keeps getting weirder and weirder. And so they look at it and say, oh no, the money is in our sack. This gives an opportunity to that Egyptian, that man, as he's going to become known in the passage, to now accuse us of stealing from Egypt. So they don't like it. They just wanted a nice, clean, regular transaction. And uh, that's not what happened. And then they went to Jacob, their father, in the land of Canaan and told him all that had happened to them, saying, This man, the man who is Lord of the land, he spoke roughly to us and he took us for spies of the country. But we said to him, We are honest men, we are not spies. We are twelve brothers, sons of our father. One is no more and the youngest is with our father this day in the land of Canaan. And then the man, the Lord of the country, the man, the man, he said to us, uh, By this I will know that you are honest men leave one of your brothers here with me take food for the famine of your households and be gone and bring your youngest brother to me so that I shall know that you are not spies but that you are honest man men I will grant your brother to you and you may trade in the land and then it happened as they uh, as they emptied their sacks that surprisingly each man's bundle of money was in his sack and when they and their father saw the bundles of money, they were afraid. And so all of this scared them. All of it was uh, very, very uh, unusual, and they were looking for usual now with, with this. Now the reaction that uh, Jacob has to all of this, verse 36, Jacob their father said to them, You have bereaved me. What have you done? Joseph is no more. Simeon is no more. His other son now captive. And you want to take Benjamin from me. All these things are against me. Now that all, that's a big word. That's how he feels about the situation right now. I've lost the oldest son of the love of my life. The one wife that I gave seven years of my life for with, with my heart intent on things. I've lost another son here now in Egypt. And now you want to take the last of the two sons from my beloved Rachel. And he looks at it and he just says, everything is against me. All things are against me. And, and that's not just like, okay, what can make this a little more dramatic for Jacob here? That's how he feels. That's how he feels. You put yourself in a situation like this in life, and, you, and some of you don't have to put yourself in it tonight. You are in it right now. And you look out the front, the rear, the right, the left, and all directions, and it just looks like one thing after another is mounting up against you. Everything is against me. It's not true. It's not true. Jacob, what he does not realize is one of the greatest things in his life is occurring. And God is behind all of the circumstances that are happening here. And there is a day on the other side of this lack of perspective where he's going to look back and say, this was the greatest series of events that happened in my life. Listen, when, if you are walking obediently as a Christian... Nothing is working against you. 
God works all things together for good in our lives. There is... It doesn't matter if it's all of Egypt. It doesn't matter if it's all of the powers of the world. It doesn't matter if everything in the world united collectively into one person to work against you, the one, you know, all of it was aimed at you. God would make all of that work together for your good. That's, that's, that's how He does it. So tonight, as you look at it, I'm just walking quietly and simply and obedient to the Lord, and the circumstances are just ramping up out of my control. Everything is against me. Don't believe it. Time will reveal that God is doing something wonderful. Maybe very hard at the moment, but something wonderful is happening. And then Reuben spoke to his father. He, he senses the the emotion of his father here, and he said to his father, and he said, Kill my two sons if I do not bring him back to you. Put him in my hands, Jacob, I mean, Benjamin in my hands, and, and we'll go back and I'll bring him back to you. Now, once again, uh, Reuben is not up to the task in this situation. I mean, I don't know how many grandfathers we have in the room, but you don't come to a grandfather and say, listen, commit one of your sons to me, and if, one of, if your son dies, then you can kill two of your grandsons too. I mean, that's just not adding up very, very good. So he's trying real hard, but he's, he, he, he's just not getting it here. And, and Jacob said to him, My son shall not go down with you, for his brother is dead, and he is left alone. If any calamity should befall him uh, among, uh, along the way in which you go, then you would bring down my gray hair with sorrow to the grave. I can't release Benjamin to you. If he goes down into Egypt and, and something happens to him there, I know my heart. I know what I've been through in life. I know the hardship I've been through in life. I know the, the physical toll that the loss of, of Joseph took upon my life. If I was to lose Benjamin, I, I'm telling you, I would not survive it. It would be the death of me. And that's what he speaks to his, to his sons there. Chapter 43. Now the famine was uh, severe in the land. So it's continuing now. And it came to pass when they had eaten up the grain which they had brought from Egypt that their father said to them go back and buy us a little food so they're out of food now again and, and the Joseph didn't give them enough for seven years because he's, he's working something out here so he, he gave them a little bit of food knowing they're going to run out go back and buy us a little food and Judah spoke to his dad and he said the man, the man solemnly warned us saying, you shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. Remember, Dad? And if, your bro if you send your brother with us, uh, if you send our brother with us, we'll go down and we'll buy you food. But if you will not send him, we will not go down. For the man said to us, you shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. Dad, this guy, I don't... I don't know how to communicate to you. This guy is serious. He's not playing a game. We are not going to get another grain of wheat from this guy if we don't bring Benjamin uh, with us. In Israel, another name for Jacob here, he said, Why did you deal so wrongfully with me as to tell the man whether you had another brother? Why did you have to go and tell him you had another brother? 
You ever had a conversation like that? I mean, how could they know? And that's what Jacob, that's what uh, Judah's going to say here in just a moment to him. But you know, it's, you're feeling so sorry for yourself and the whole thing. Why'd you have to open your mouth and tell him any more than you, you did on, on things? And so, it, you know, you can't fix anything by looking back and regretting on the deal, but he just, he feels bad and they're just talking this way. And, and they said, the man asked us pointedly about ourselves and our family, saying, Is your father still alive? Have you another brother? It's not like we just started spouting off about the family. He asked us specific questions about uh, our, our family, and we told him according to these words. Could we possibly have known that he would say, Bring down your brother? And, and I mean, it, you can almost hear it. It's a family discussion that, that's going on there. Dad, I'm not going down there without, without Benjamin. It wouldn't do any good to go down without Benjamin. Why in the world do you have to tell him so much about Benjamin? And How was I supposed to know? He knew, you know, he's going to ask about and then for Benjamin and the whole thing, you know. And, and so, the, is the, so the conversation uh, goes. And then Judah, and uh, he's a little, uh, little more on top of things than, than Reuben. He said to his father Israel, Send the lad with me, and we will arise and go, that we may live and not die. Now, again, this tells us the seriousness of the famine. Dad, if, we, if you don't loosen up your grip on Benjamin here and let him go. Now, remember, here, the, the circumstances of life that are outside of Jacob's control, I mean, they are just pushing him. He, he's like... Um, he's like he's caught in a rapids. He has he can't get his feet down on anything. This circumstance is just running him. But he's right with God, and God's gonna God's gonna work it his his way. And and so listen, Dad, if, if you you, uh, you need to just uh, if you don't let him go, then. Benjamin's going to die here. You're going to die here. We're all going to die here. All the children are going to die. All the grandchildren are going to die. So Jacob is really up against it uh, here. And Judah's helping him face facts. And sometimes kids have to do that. Send the lad with me. We'll arise and go that we may live and not die. Both we and you and also our little ones. And I will be a surety uh, for him from my hand you shall require him. If I do not bring him back to you and set him before you, then let me bear the blame forever. Now, this is a different man, Judah. Uh, Judah was the one who said, well, let's get 20 pieces of silver out of this whole thing, get rid of a brother all at the same time and everything. And he comes back with the brothers and tells his dad a lie that his dad's been living with for 22 years and his dad's the one that sent his brother to spy on the other brothers and he's carrying the guilt of if only I hadn't sent my, brother, my son out there he'd still be alive today and all of this but here's Judah again he's a changed man in all of this and he has a great sensitivity toward his father and what his father is going through what Benjamin means to him and the interesting thing now for Judah right now is earlier 22 years earlier he and his brothers they begrudged the fact that Joseph was Jacob's favorite here is a situation where Jacob still is not hiding the fact to the rest of the boys that Benjamin is his favorite. But that doesn't matter to Judah anymore. He's not threatened by that at all. 
His great concern is for the best of the family, but he's very compassionate toward what his father is going through. A lot has changed in his life. Changed life. And, uh, and, and so he then goes on to say, For if we had not lingered, surely by now we would have returned the second time. So food is very scarce. Dad, I mean, if we'd gone, we'd be back by now. About a six-week journey uh, for them to, to do that round trip. And their father Israel said to them, if it, uh, if it must be so, then do this. Take some of the best fruits of the land in your vessels and carry down a present for the man, a little balm, a little honey, spices and myrrh, pistachio nuts and almonds. And so he's a rich man and he's got some luxury items here. And they haven't broken into them in order to, uh, you know, sustain themselves in, in the famine. These foods are uh, apparently held over for a time where they've been unaffected by the famine. So he's got this, still this little stash of, of kind of luxury items. Now people look at this sometimes and they say, ah, uh, here's old Jacob doing just what he did with Esau. You know, all those years before, Esau's coming and so send one herd in front of the other and then this herd and then a third wave of, of gifts and everything to soften him. And so it looks like he's trying to manipulate the situation. But really he isn't. Uh, in those days, for you to approach uh, someone in kind of a settled government like Egypt was, for you to gain an audience before a very high official it would be an affront if, if you didn't bring some kind of a gift. So he's not trying to manipulate. He's just trying to do what's culturally right. You notice there in verse 11, when they refer to Jacob, he's referred to as Israel there, governed by God and not Jacob. And it is interesting when you read through uh, Jacob's uh, life after the time that he was renamed, after his hip was pulled out of joint at the river Jabbok, that uh, he is alternately referred to as Jacob and then also Israel. And very often he is called Jacob, heel catcher, uh, tripper, upper, con man, this kind of thing. God bless you if your name is Jacob. The name's been redeemed. But it, that's, that's what he was. And sometimes he's referred to as Jacob in a passage because he's returning to his old ways. And when he's referred to as Israel in a situation, it's because he is handling it the way that God would have it handle him. He is governed by God or ruled by God, which is what Israel means in the situation. Here, he's given the name of Israel. He is not trying to manipulate this thing. He is trusting in God, simply doing the right thing. Now notice in verse 12, he said, Take double money in your hand. Take back in your hand the money that was returned in the mouth of your sacks, plus the money that we would need to buy uh, all of this uh, food with. Perhaps it was an oversight. And then uh, he said, take your brother also, arise and go back to the man. And so he approves now uh, the taking of money to buy more, and then also go ahead and take the brother. Now let me just jump back just a little bit because I forgot something. When, J when Joseph takes and he puts their money back in the sacks, he does not know the financial condition of his family. He does not know that, uh, again, no news for 22 years, whether they are spending their final dollars on this 
amount of grain. So when he puts the grain, the money back into their sacks, it's in order to. He knows they're going to be back because the famine's going to last seven years. But he doesn't want them not to come back because they don't have money to do it. So he makes sure they have money. He also does something in holding one of the brothers, Simeon, because now he's got a living map for how to get back to the family. In other words, if he does not see them return in a timely manner for grain, he has one of the brothers and he can say to the brother, lead me to my family. And Simeon would have known where to take him. And uh, so, you know, he's a very, very sharp man, this, this Joseph. And uh, so here is Jacob, though, Israel. He releases the, his brother, uh, his son, now with the money, with the gift. And then he says, is, is, is pronouncement over the whole situation, and may God Almighty give you mercy before the man, that he may release your other brother and Benjamin. If I am bereaved, I am bereaved. And so he commits the situation to God. And I'm not inclined to think that he just says, all right, we're all going to die, but what, you know, so what kind of a thing. That's not what's happening here. When he speaks about God, he calls him God Almighty El Shaddai, which speaks is, is indicated in the name that God is all-powerful. And he speaks of the mercy of God. He is commending his Son to the power and the mercy of God and that God's power and His mercy would be greater than the unreasonableness of this Egyptian uh, ruler. And, and so the men took the present and Benjamin and they took double money in their hand and they arose and they went down to Egypt and then they stood before Joseph. And when Joseph saw Benjamin with them, he said to the steward of his house, Take these men to my home, slaughter an animal, and make ready, for these men will dine with me at noon. And so when he sees Benjamin, all right, they've done what I asked them to do, he says, go ahead and arrange lunch. Now he's a busy man, so he keeps on doing his morning's work and everything. There's a lot of responsibility. But he said, take them to my house, get them situated, and, and then we're going to have uh, lunch together. And the, then the man servant did as Joseph ordered, and the man brought the men into Joseph's house. Now, their reaction is not one of, cool. Uh, their reaction is fear. The, the men were afraid because they were brought into Joseph's house. I don't know how many of you are like that. When, when I get into a situation that's like kind of iffy like this, and you've got a big powerful guy like this, and he's a little unreasonable and all that kind of deal, I, I want the back seat in the classroom. I, I'll look in a room and say, which seat can I sit in and disappear? And I notice that many of you do much the same thing in terms of attending uh, church here. So, but to me, I just want to disappear. It's like, I'm not alive. Make me invisible, God. I don't want anybody's attention. I don't want that man's attention. Not for good, not for bad. I just want to get out of here anonymously. And uh, that's kind of uh, the mode that they're in. They've gotten this extra attention, and given the history, they realize this can't be terribly good. 
uh, for us. And so they're afraid because they were brought into Joseph's house and they said, it's because of the money which we had, which was returned in our sacks the first time that we were brought in so that he may make a case against us, seize us, and take us as slaves with our donkeys. We've been set up, and this isn't going to be about lunch. We're the lunch here. And uh, when they drew near to the steward of Joseph's house, they talked with him at the door of the house. So they're feeling like, okay, we're going to get busted and framed here on the whole thing and everything. And so they're going to try and solve this thing before they even get to the house. Sir, we... uh, we indeed came down the first time to buy food. And it happened when, when we came to the encampment that we opened our sacks and there each man's money was in the mouth of the sack and the money in full weight and we brought it back uh, in our hand. And we have brought down other money in our hands to buy food and we don't know who put our money in our sacks. We're innocent. You understand what's going on here. And could you pass it on to the man on uh, all, of, uh, all of this? And he said to them, Peace be with you. Shalom. Uh, don't be afraid. Your God and the God of your father has given you treasure in your sacks. I had your money, which isn't truthful, but that's what he said. And then he brought Simeon out to them. So Simeon comes out of his prison cell here now to see the brothers. About time you guys showed up. Now, if Simeon was upset over how long it took them to come back, he doesn't say it. And I think Simeon knew what the brothers knew even when they left him there in prison. Bye, Simeon. We'll see you when we're out of food because you know Dad is not going to release Benjamin to bring us back. And uh, so I think Simeon is very happy to see his brothers because he probably expected Dad will never release them to come. But... Starvation is a very strong motivation for making uh, decisions uh, that we might not otherwise make. And, uh, and that's what Jacob does. And so he's brought out to them. And of course, everybody is very, very excited uh, over uh, all of that. And so the man brought the men into Joseph's house, gave them water, and they've been on a long journey, washed their feet, beautiful Middle Eastern hospitality, gave their donkeys uh, food. And then while all this is going on, they made the present ready that dad had given them to give to Joseph's coming at noon, for they heard that he would eat bread there. And when Joseph came home, they brought him the present which was in their hand into the house, and they bowed down before him to the earth. So we got another bow down again on this thing. They're going to bow down uh, a little bit more too before the whole story is, is done. And uh, God had said that this would happen, that Joseph would rise to the place of preeminence in the family, and so it has happened. And so they bowed down their heads, and, and uh, to, they bowed down before him to the earth. And then he asked them about uh, their well-being, and then he said, one of these pointed questions again, Is your father well, the old man of whom you spoke? Is he still alive? Now see, here's the danger that J- Joseph is, is doing. He wants to find out whether his brothers have changed. But he knows that his father is elderly and he knows he's running the risk of his father dying in the meantime. And also, this is forefront of his mind. Is he still alive? How is he doing? And they answered, Your servant, our father, 
is in good health. He is still alive. And they bowed, down, uh, bowed their heads down and they prost, uh, prostrated uh, themselves once again before him. And then he lifted his eyes. He saw his brother Benjamin, his mother's son, his, his full brother. Uh, both of them sons of Rachel. And he said, Is this your, playing it cool, is this your younger brother of whom you spoke to me? And then he said to him, God be gracious to you, my son. Now his heart yearned for his brother. And so Joseph made haste. He's emotionally overwhelmed by the situation. He makes haste. He looks for a place where he can weep in private, went into his chamber, and he wept there. And, and so all of this is, is really uh, hitting him emotionally as he, he sees all of this um, uh, happening. But it's too early for him to reveal his identity to him and, and to them because of, of uh, some more things that he wants to learn about their character and the fact that they've really changed. So he has to break off weep a little bit, recompose himself. And then what does he do before he comes out? He puts water on his face. He washed his face and then he came out. You ever cry somewhere and say, I don't want anybody to know I'm crying. And so you put water all over your face. And you say, why is your face all blotchy and your eyes red? And it, just it, that water, it's that hard water you got there in your bathroom and everything there. And, and so he washes his face. He came out and he restrained himself. He regained control. And he said, serve the bread. So he ordered the meal now. Uh, to be served. And so they set him in a place by himself and uh, them, the, uh, the brothers, ten brothers by themselves, the Egyptians, the servants who ate with him uh, and, and maybe other dignitaries that have come with Joseph, they sat by themselves because the Egyptians could not eat food with the Hebrews for that is an abomination to the Egyptians at that time. So you've got three kind of clusters of seating. You've got Joseph sitting alone because of the greatness of his title and his position. You've got other Egyptians that are sitting at another table alone because they're not quite, uh, you know, in terms of the way the culture ran. It wouldn't be appropriate for them to sit with Joseph, but they can't sit with Hebrews either. And then you've got the ten brothers all sitting at a table uh, by, by themselves. And they sat before him, uh, the firstborn according to his birthright, and the youngest according to his youth. And the men looked in astonishment at one another. Joseph seats them at their table, the ten brothers. He seats them at the table and he puts in seat number one, the oldest brother, seat number two, the second oldest, seat number three, the third oldest, all the way through the ten. Do you know what the odds are of that happening randomly, to go from oldest to youngest in that way? Just a, 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 a hair under 40 million to one. So when they see that they are sat down now in this environment in that order, it's really, really weird to them. And there's this, they looked with astonishment at one another. They don't know what's going to happen to them next. This is Egypt. This is a weird place in terms of, you know, one weird thing after another. And then he took uh, servings to them uh, from before him. But Benjamin's serving was five times as much as any of theirs. What's he trying to do? Provoke jealousy. Provoke jealousy in them, if it's there to be provoked. So they had risen up with a murderous hatred 
of the favoritism that their father had shown Joseph. He is now going to show a undeniable favoritism to Benjamin and he's going to watch those other nine brothers and see whether they get jealous of that and turn hostile toward Benjamin. Gave him five times as much as any of theirs and not an ounce of jealousy from them. In fact, they all drank and they were merry with him. These are changed men. They're changed men. Now Joseph's going to put them through one more really big test to make sure that their attitude is right toward Benjamin and that they have really changed in the next chapter, which we're not going to go into right now tonight. We'll pick it up, Lord willing, next week. And as we we look at, in in preparation of, of partaking of the Lord's Supper here tonight, We're going to pass out the bread first, and, and as the bread or the cracker comes past you, as, as a Christian, you just take one of those crackers, a symbol of Jesus' body broken for us upon, upon the cross. And, uh, and as we take that cracker and we kind of meditate upon uh, things tonight, and then we'll take the cup after a little bit, but I'd like us just to take a couple themes from the passage, just to... Let it work into a deeper place in our hearts as we partake of of communion.